Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life that you need prayer for. We're here, we're here to pray for you. And I'm here to answer your questions about the Bible. Maybe there's a text you've been reading that you've always wondered, what does this verse mean? Or how does this verse fit with this other verse over here? What are those Bible questions, those theology questions that you've had? Let us know. Give me a call, and I'd love to discuss those with you on the air and hopefully bring some clarity to some of those things. And if you have a prayer request, maybe something going on in your life that you just need prayer for, this is a great place to come with that because we have a lot of listeners tuning in right now and they're ready to pray as they're in their cars driving down I-25 or down I-70 as they are, I don't know, maybe at their desk still finishing the last hour of work before the weekend. You've got people here who are listening and they, when they hear your prayer requests, they're able to hear it and pray along with us and say yes and amen. And that's a powerful thing. So do give us a call with your prayer requests and with your Bible questions. Maybe there's something going on in your life and you're curious, what does the Bible say about this kind of situation? We'd love to discuss it with you and hopefully give some answers. So the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. We want to welcome those of you who are listening in Colorado and into Southern Wyoming on Grace FM. We also want to welcome those listening on our sister stations on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those listening on Truth FM in parts of Tennessee and North Carolina. Welcome to the program. We're so glad to have you tuning in today, wherever you're tuning in from. For those of you listening on Grace FM, as well as those of you tuning in on our mobile app, the Grace FM mobile app, or on gracefm.com. You're all hearing this show live today. It's Friday, June 11th, and we're broadcasting live. I'm actually broadcasting from Longmont, Colorado, where I pastor, and it's great to be with you. Uh, It's a beautiful day here in Colorado. Uh, For those of you who are listening on the East Coast, um, on Hope FM or in Appalachia on Truth FM, we just want you to know you're hearing this show on a one-week delay. So the show airs on your station a week after it aired live here in Colorado on Grace FM. And so we just want you to be aware of that, but we do want you to still participate in the show. And we want you to call in with your Bible questions. We want you to call in with your prayer requests, and we'd love to answer those for you and to pray for your prayer requests. And that actually gives you guys a unique opportunity, those of you who are listening on Hope FM and Truth FM, because that means that you know that when you call in, your show will air a week later, and that gives you a whole week to reach out to friends and family and to let them know that you're going to be on the air. And maybe that's kind of a backdoor, a, a way for you to introduce them to the Christian radio station in your local area where they can start tuning in. Maybe it becomes a preset on their 
car radio where they're able to tune in and hear Bible teaching throughout the week, and God will use that to change their life. And so we encourage you, whether you're listening on those stations or here on Grace FM or you're listening online, definitely get the word out about this station. We believe that the word of God, as it goes out over the airwaves, as it gets in people's ears, that it affects our hearts, that it accomplishes that which God sends it out to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we want to get as many people as possible listening to the Word of God, and of course to this show as well, where, where as people are listening to the Word, as questions arise in their mind, this is a place where they can turn to ask those questions to get further clarification so that they can understand. You know, I heard a great definition of theology once. In, in my own theology studies, there's a famous definition of theology from Anselm of Canterbury, and he described theology as faith-seeking understanding. And I think that makes so much sense because, you know, if if the essence of eternal life, Jesus told us in John chapter 17, verse 3, is to know God and to know Jesus Christ whom he sent, then of course we want to know the answers to our questions, not just to fill our heads with answers or to be able to win at Bible trivia. We want to know this God who loves us so much. We want to know this God who has saved us. We want to know what he's like. We want to know what he wants. And so we seek to study his word and we seek to get our questions answered. So give us a call with your questions about the Bible, theology, and life at 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Just a few words about myself before we go to our first caller. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. We're a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church here in this great city. And if you are within driving distance of Longmont, we'd love to have you come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. You can also worship with us online if you're not able to travel or if we're too far away for you. So if you're in driving distance, let's say maybe you're in some of our surrounding communities like Lyons, Berthoud, Mead, uh, Frederick, Firestone, Decono, even out into Platteville or, or um, down into Erie and Lafayette. Maybe you're in Boulder or Niwot or, or Lyons. I think I already started with Lyons. I'm kind of trying to go in a circle around Longmont and ca- catch all the towns. So if I forgot yours, I apologize. But if you're within driving distance of Longmont, we would love to have you come worship with us. We're conveniently located really right on Highway 119 near I-25. So we're just west of I-25 on Highway 119, which is the main road from I-25 into Longmont and then down into Boulder. And so really accessible for people who are coming from out of town or from surrounding communities. Uh, We're also really close. We're kind of in between I-25 and County Line Road. So those of you who come up and down County Line Road, we're really close for you as well. Uh, Our address is 2950 Colorful Avenue, and we have three Sunday morning services. They're at 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. So 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 are three Sunday morning services. The first service, the 8 a.m. service, is a family service. The 9.30 and 11 a.m. services have children's ministry. We call it Next Gen, so we have classes for your kids, and we would love for you to be part of that and for your kids to be able to learn as well. You can find directions all that good information that you need about our church, it's going to be found on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. It's whitefieldschurch.com. And if you would like to watch online, 
We would love to have you join us for Church Online as well at our 9.30 and 11 a.m. services. They're live streamed on our website, whitefieldschurch.com, as well as on our YouTube and Facebook pages. So we'd love to have you tune in for that. Uh, we have full lines today, which is awesome. Glad to have you guys calling in. Let's go ahead and dive right in to the calls. Let's go to Caesar in Thornton, Colorado. Hi, Caesar. Welcome to the program. Uh, hey, Pastor Nick. How's it going? Going great. Um, so, yeah, I kind of I felt burdened uh, um, recently. The uh, or last year when it was, uh, I keep thinking gang violence and all the racial tensions, so just um, that we wouldn't have a repeat of what happened um, last year with all the senseless violence and all that. Yeah, it got worse during the summer last year, didn't it? Right. Okay, yeah, let's pray for that. And did you did you also have a question? Um, I did. Uh, when I I don't know the uh, which book in the New Testament, but the Jews were asking Jesus about um, which, whose wife would um, the brother's wife would be the, that died, and then so on and so forth. His brothers kept dying or whatever, and so um, I guess my question is if. In the resurrection, there is no marriage, as Jesus taught. Why are, you know, that was God's part of original design for Adam and Eve. Um, so why would there not be marriage, I guess, in the resurrection, if that was part of the original design? Right, yeah, good question. So um, that passage you're referring to is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. It may be found in other places, but I know for sure it's found there, Matthew 22. And you're right, you know, Jesus, they asked him, you know, about a guy whose uh, wife had been married to multiple brothers, whose wife would she be in the resurrection? Jesus said, well, in the resurrection, we'll be like the angels in heaven, and there will be no marriage. Now, that doesn't mean right. there won't be relationship, right? It doesn't mean there won't be friendship and, and things like that. Um, to answer your question, the, the short answer is this, uh, that marriage is meant to be a signpost that points to something beyond itself. And once that something has come, then there's no longer a need for the sign. Um, but it does get to another really interesting thing, which I'll just touch on briefly at the end of this, uh, which is an interesting theological point about the resurrection and the, the original design of God. So I'll get to that in a second. But let me just put it this way. Marriage, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, he tells us really clearly that marriage is meant to be a picture which points us to Jesus and the church and God's whole plan. And, and that's not just something that's found in the New Testament. It's also found in the Old Testament as well, where like in the book of Isaiah, we're told that um, the union of God to his people will be like a wedding feast in which, you know, there will be wine overflowing and there will be, um, you know, just a, a feast that will never end which is why it's so interesting. I think so many times people don't get this connection is that the first miracle that Jesus performs in Cana of Galilee is to prolong a wedding feast. A lot of people get hung up on the wine. You know, was it real wine? Was it just grape juice? Yada, yada, yada. That's not the point at all. The point is that it says there in the Gospel of John, this was the first of the signs which Jesus performed. Well, what's a sign? A sign is, is something which points to something beyond itself or something other than itself. 
And so what does it point to? Well, it points to the coming kingdom, the union of God with his people, where God will be like the groom and his people will be like the bride, and they will be unified forever in faithfulness. They will, you know, have this joyous union for all of eternity. That's a picture that's found in the Old Testament. It's carried into the New Testament. And so the purpose of marriage from day one was to be a signpost pointing forward to that thing. And once that thing has come, the sign is no longer necessary. Uh, it, it reminds me, I was telling, I actually taught on this recently, and I was using this story about, um, I went on my honeymoon with my wife. We went to Mexico and we were in this place where they had these it's like you drive down the road, you know, in the middle of nowhere, and there will be these signs that'll say like pyramid this way. It's like a blue sign with a pyramid on it and like an arrow. And I remember uh, looking through my photos of my, um, my honeymoon recently and looking for things. And I noticed that I had pictures of signs pointing to pyramids, but sometimes I didn't even take pictures of the pyramids themselves. And that's a little bit silly, right? Now I, now I regret that because... I mean, what good is a picture of a sign? What's really of value was the pyramid that's been there for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. So I guess my point is just to say that's the nature of a sign. That's also the nature of Jesus' miracles. John's gospel rightly calls them signs, which means the point of the miracle is not just that Jesus can do cool things. The point of the miracle is that each of those miracles, in a way, points to the coming kingdom. And like, for example, you know, he raises someone from the dead because in the coming kingdom, death will be no more. He heals people from their infirmities because in the coming kingdom, there will be no more sickness, you know, and, and you could go on and on. But um, the final thought I had on this theological thing was this. Some people would look at the, the narrative arc of the Bible, right? The narrative arc, meaning the story that the Bible tells. And they would say, look, we start in a garden with the tree of life, we fall, and then God does this great work of restoration, and the end result of that is that we end up once again in a garden with the tree of life. So we've come full circle. God has brought us back to where we started, except here's what's so cool. If you look in Revelation, it's not just a restoration of the Garden of Eden. Yes, there's a garden. Yes, the tree of life is there. But it's more than that. It's no longer a garden. It's now a city teeming with people. And it's the garden city of God. In other words, not just a restoration of Eden. It is the realization of what Eden would have become if sin had never come into the world. And the ultimate trajectory of everything was to... Um, was to bring us into union with God. Not just relationship like they had in the garden, but an actual union which is more akin to a marriage. So it's an interesting thing to say that it's not just that we've come full circle, it's actually that we've, in the end, in the end, you know, the, the final event, the new heavens and new earth will actually not just be full circle, but it will be full circle, but much better, right? So the, not just the restoration of Eden, but the realization of what Eden would have been apart from sin. Okay. Yeah, I guess I don't understand exactly, like, how, obviously, how, how, um, that would have all came about, um, had Adam and Eve not, uh, sinned or, you know, um, or, but I, I get what you're saying. It's, it was a, a pointing to just like, you know, our Abraham with Isaac and 
the yeah. sacrifice that God told him to make. And <clears throat> yeah, I'm not sure exactly how it would have come about either. Uh, another thought on that is that God knew from the beginning what was going to happen, and with that in mind, he created marriage to be a signpost. Um, but it seems to me that even without sin in the world, we still need that signpost pointing to the fact that we are made not just for relationship with God, but actual union with God. So let's go ahead and pray for your prayer requests, and then I'll let you go. Cool. So, Lord, we lift up uh, Caesar's prayer request. This is heavy on his heart, Lord, and it's heavy on on our hearts as well. Lord, just seeing the the rise of violence in major cities in the United States last year, Lord, we pray that that would not happen this year. We pray for uh, those who are innocent and Lord, those who are not you know, part of any of these conflicts who get caught in the middle. Lord, we pray that you would keep them safe this summer. And Lord, we do pray that rather than having people get into violence and retribution and all of these things, Lord, we pray that people would turn to you that they would find in you, Lord, the true meaning and purpose for their lives. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor. Hey, Appreciate God bless you, Caesar. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. With that, we have one open line, 303-690-3000 is the number to call, 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Kip in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Yeah. Hi, Kip. Welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, Pastor? Doing great. What's up? Hey, so um, we know that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, um, omnipresent, means that he's, he's everywhere at once. Um, he sees our mind. You know, he knows what we think. Um, these are attributes that the Satan does not have. So how is it when sent the angel to Daniel, the angel was held up before he made it to Daniel. Uh, wouldn't God know that he's going to be held up? Wouldn't God um, have made provisions to stop that from happening? How did, how did God make a command for an angel to go do something and the angel not be able to um, to just go do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. That, let, let's talk about, let's give a little context just in case any of our listeners aren't familiar with the passage. So this is referring to Daniel chapter 10. And in Daniel chapter 10, uh, we read this, this passage. Let me, let me actually read it to you here. It says, but the prince of the Persian kingdom or the prince of Persia resisted me 21 days. Now this is Speaking about, uh, well, then I'll, I'll keep reading. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the prince of Persia. Later, the angel speaking to Daniel predicts some further fighting. It says, soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. So is, is it saying that Daniel was the one? who was held up by the prince of Persia, or is it saying that the angel was held up? I'm going to have to check another translation just to check. Yeah, so let's see here. Yeah, it says that Daniel, if I'm reading it right, Daniel is the one who was held up with the prince of Persia. Well, e either way, here's the point, is that this prince of Persia is 
is understood to be a fallen angel who has some sense of uh, authority or influence over the physical kingdom of Persia. And then that's also compared then with the prince of Greece. So the idea is that there are certain demonic, I guess you could say, entities, beings who have, um, I guess you could say, some sort of authority over certain geographic regions. And they have some kinds of uh, spiritual strongholds. And so this, you know, plays into this whole idea of spiritual warfare that we're introduced to in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it's really laid out for us more in a, in a really clear, linear way in the New Testament. For example, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 or in Ephesians chapter 6. And I think the, the big takeaway from this is that these demonic entities do have some degree of power, right? So they're even referred to as the powers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so I think that's a really important point for us to take note of, is that these aren't just, um, you know, things that have no power at all. They, they do have some power. On the other hand, we, you know, to describe it as like a spiritual tug of war between God and the demonic forces in which God might lose if you don't, you know, jump on and pull your weight with the rope, I think is, is not the right way to describe it. Rather, you know, here's what I would, I would suggest is that these, these demonic forces do have some power. Their power cannot stand up against God. But of course, with the book of Job is a perfect example of where we see that God gives permission to, in that case, Satan, but in this case, we would say to these demonic entities to have some, I guess you could say, area in which they are allowed to work and do things and do whatever it is that they want to do, but yet there are limitations upon that. So to your question, how is it that these uh, demonic forces were able to somehow limit the coming of this messenger uh, from coming? Um, it, it would seem to me that that's, that's not terribly surprising because on the one hand, this, messen this uh, demonic entity is not fighting against God. It's not like God was struggling with it. It's this messenger was delayed and struggling with it. In the same way that there are ways in which, though we can't be as a believer, you cannot be indwelt by a demonic entity, you can still struggle with them, right? You can still experience attacks from the demonic forces and authorities. And in some areas, right, there are certainly certain geographical regions, it would seem, or certain cultural regions, it would seem there are particular spiritual strongholds which are demonic in origin. And I mean, I think that we could speculate on what some of these things might be in certain regions of our country or in certain regions of the world and how those demonically inspired uh, authorities or powers could actually hinder the, the furtherance of work uh, of the gospel. You know, a good example of this would be to think about the Middle East and to say, okay, here's something which is a different gospel in the form of the, the religion that's popular, of course, Islam. And you say, okay, well, according to the Bible, that would be a demonically inspired thing since it's taking away from the truth of the gospel. And you could think that, you know, if you were a messenger of God sent and called to go and, and preach the gospel in those places, you would deal with a lot of things that would slow you down in that process. That's why uh, we don't have a lot of missionaries in the 1040 window. It's because these are areas where there are strongholds, and those strongholds are political, 
they're cultural, but ultimately what Daniel's talking about here too is that they're demonically inspired. So does that help make sense of it? No, no, I, I, I don't think um, I worded my question correctly then. Um, I like to take Scripture against Scripture to try to figure out Scripture. Remember when the centurion came to Christ and said, um, Lord, you don't have to, uh, to come to my house to heal my servant, for I'm a man of authority. I tell somebody to do it. I know it's done because it's, it, it, I represent the authority of Rome. And if you just simply speak, then what will, you know, you don't have to show up. You, you speak it and it will happen. And God complimented him saying he hadn't seen faith like this in all of, of um, Israel. Here's a message. to Daniel, and messenger said, I'm sorry, I'm 21 days late because uh, I was held up by the prince of Persia. Um, if God spoke it, how is it possible for anything to delay it? How is it possible if we have a God that, that spoke the world into existence that could say, I'm sending you to give this message to Daniel, mm-hmm. how, how did he not know that, that when he went to go give the message to Daniel that he would be uh, held up by the, the, the prince of Persia? He knows the beginning from the end. He knows, he knows all things. Um, if, I, if I tell my son to go do something, and yet I know that uh, my wife is going to uh, ask him to do something else, and I know that that's going to happen, then I would go to my wife and say, hey, I'm sending my son to go do this. You know, he, he can do that when he gets back. But here God sent an angel to, to talk to Daniel, and the angel didn't make it for 21 days. How... How is that possible that God said for something to happen and it didn't? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the answer to that question is that like many things in the Bible, this would be a case in which, remember, the Bible is a book written, inspired by God for us to read as people in order to know God and to know his, his ways and to know his purposes. And so many times the Bible will use language that seems anthropomorphic, meaning that it's put in terms of how we understand things. And so did God know that this would happen? I would say absolutely God knew that this would happen. And yet the, the way it plays out is much more like a drama, right? And, and this is true of so many areas of in our, our lives where this is the way God deals with us. He knows the end from the beginning, right? He knows who will be saved and who will not be saved. And yet the way it plays out for us and by design, by the way, God wants it to be this way, that it would play out for us in a drama where we don't know the end from the beginning. We don't know what's going to happen next. And so we trust him. And sometimes in the Bible, um, the language that's used or the way that's described that things happened, they don't explain to us, you know, how did this all work out in God's sovereignty or in God's uh, foreknowledge? We just have to know, right? This is where we get into systematic theology and biblical theology is where we say, well, we know that these things are true about God. Therefore, we must read this story through that lens of knowing 
that this is true about God. Therefore, in this story, will we read that this angel was held up for three weeks? And it sounds like, you know, everybody was surprised by this. Well, we, we know that God wasn't surprised by it. And somehow in his design, he either allowed this to happen or designed it to happen to accomplish a purpose, which we may not know what that purpose is. Yeah. Is it? So it's yeah, an interesting just, uh, passage. It's one of those. Uh, it's one of those questions. Is that as I was reading this and I was discussing it with my wife, I couldn't come up with an answer. I'm not sure how God could could command something to happen or send something out and then have that thing that He's sent out not not just happen. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear the music, but I can. That means that we've come up to our two-minute break. We got, we'll get to our next callers right after the break. Thanks for your call, Kip, and we'll be right back in two minutes' time. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And this is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, your questions about theology. We had a great one just before the break with Kip, and it was getting into a question from the book of Daniel about spiritual warfare. Now, we had to let Kip go because we ran up into our break time, but I just want to kind of tie a bow on that and wrap it up by saying this. The essence of, of that passage and what makes it so interesting is this. I would, I would just summarize the takeaway from that discussion in this way. Spiritual warfare is real, and it is mysterious in what God permits and what God doesn't permit. That was what someone wrote in, and I think that very well summarizes it. Spiritual warfare is very real, and it is also a mystery as to what God permits and what God doesn't and how it all works out in, in the way that we see it. But I'll tell you one verse that's always brought me a lot of comfort, and that comes from the book of Revelation, where we read that those who stand around the throne, many of whom were martyred for their faith during the tribulation period, they say to God, God, righteous and true are your judgments. All your judgments are righteous and true. That brings me a lot of comfort because these are people who now have a perspective that I don't have right now in my life, right? It means that they are people who, who finally they get the whole perspective. They see everything, all of history, and they're able to look back on everything that happened, even the injustices they suffered themselves, and say, God, knowing what we know now, we can say that all of your judgments are righteous and true. Uh, that brings me so much comfort. It helps me to have faith as I go through the day-to-day -day things in my life today. Let's go to our next caller, Pat in Greeley, Colorado. Hi, Pat. Welcome to the program. Hey. Hey, Pastor. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. You held for a long time. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, no problem. I enjoy listening to the show anyway. Uh, Nick, I'm interested in your take on uh, Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Uh, the two quick stories about the uh, treasure and the pearl. That is my favorite passage to preach on. If you were to ask me, Nick, preach on any passage and you have five minutes to prepare, this is the passage I would preach on. In fact, I would, I would actually preach on the three parables that come right in a row 
the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, and the parable of the net, because I think they're all related. But uh, if all you want is my my hot take on them, I'll give them to you. Um, it's one of my favorite passages to preach, like I said. So let me preach a mini, mini sermon right now. Okay, so the kingdom of heaven, this is what it says, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, so um, right before this, in Matthew 13, it says that Jesus, from this point on, began speaking in parables. And the reason he did this was a few things. He had enemies, and so he could speak in parables so that those who wanted to hear would, would dig in, and they would listen, and they would uh, lean in, if you will, and they would get the point. But those who were just kind of there to look for sound bites, right, so they could discredit Jesus, or they were looking you know, for things like that, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have any fuel or, or anything like that for their fires. So Jesus starts speaking in parables, and the first parable he speaks in is actually the parable about farming, or the parable of the weeds. Um, well, actually, no, there, there's several. But the, the parable of the sower, and then the parable of the weeds. And in each of these parables, he describes a field and seeds that are planted in a field, and things like that. And then he explains the parables to his disciples right before he goes into these three little parables that you asked about. And in those, in those parables, he says that the field that he speaks of in all these parables refers to the world. The field represents the world. Now, that's important for what it says, particularly about the parable of hidden treasure. Think about, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. So if the field is the world, that's the kind of interpretive key which Jesus has already given us, then what is the treasure? And who is a man who goes and sells all that he has to buy that field? Well, if the field is the world, who is it who has gone and sold all that he had to buy the world? Well, that would be God. And how did he do that? He gave his life in order to purchase the world and make it his own. And why did he do that? Because in the world, there was treasure hidden in the world. So here's what that means. There's, there's two ways of doing this. Sometimes when I preach this parable, here's what I'll do. I'll start by saying, a lot of people, you read this parable and it's very clear. The gospel, Jesus, heaven is a great treasure. And so what you need to do is you need to go sell all that you have and give up everything in order to take hold of it. Now, is that true? Well, on the one hand, that is true. You have to give up you have to be willing to lay down your life in order to take hold of the new life that Jesus offers you. But on the other hand, that's not really the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that anything that we do for God is a response to what God has first done for us, right? God first loved us. The reason we love is because he first loved us. So the, the meaning of this parable is very clear if you break it down this way. The meaning of the parable is this, that God considers you such a treasure that he was willing to give up everything. He was willing to trade heaven for this dusty earth, a crown of glory he traded for a crown of thorns. He traded a throne for a cross. He traded life everlasting for death and abuse here on this earth. Why? In order to 
purchased this world as, with the ransom of his own life so that he might take hold of you whom he treasures that much. The, the parable of the great pearl is, is similar to it, which it, it basically says this, who is the one who is looking for the pearls? It means that we are not the ones seeking God and sacrificing to take hold of him. It means that God is the one seeking us and he has sacrificed in order to take hold of us. Oh man, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, I, I was thinking too of another aspect of it, but that's, that's really, that's really a beautiful picture you just described. But when I, when I, when I read the two together, um, what I got out of it was a lot, a, a lot less deep. It, it was more like, it seemed like the point of those two little parables were, what a joy it is for us to find heaven. Mm. And, the, and the treasure that was buried in the field is, is heaven. And this guy finds it, and it even says it in the, in the verse that he went away with great joy. Mm. So what I thought was trying to be communicated is, listen, when you find heaven, when you, when you accept Christ, you're going to be given a great joy. Mm. And that great joy is is finding heaven, finding God. And the same thing with the pearl. It's like a great pearl. I went away and sold everything. What would make someone what would make someone that happy and full of joy because he found a great treasure, much like a pearl? Mm. And uh I was wondering if that has any validity or is that uh, just misinterpretation? No, Pat, I think it has a lot of validity. But here's here's how I would put it to you. Um I think that that is the, the first reading that most of us would come to is to say, oh yeah, yeah, that's what it is. You know, if you find this treasure, you would be willing to give up everything in order to take hold of it and you wouldn't regret it. You wouldn't say, man, I had to give up all this stuff for Jesus. No, no, no. You would have, you would be so full of joy that you would give up everything and do so with great joy. But here's the thing. I think that this is I think this is actually by design. You know, Jesus was a masterful teacher. And so I think that this is one of those great examples where a parable can actually be read in more than one way and and there's there's truth in it. So I think that what you're saying is true, but here's how I would present that. And this is actually the way, the way I usually do present it is to say this, man, the gospel, heaven is such great such a great treasure that if you were to find it and you, you would be willing to give up everything, and you would do so joyfully. But you know what else? Who has actually done that? Who has truly given up everything for God? But here's the good news of the gospel. Though we have not treasured God, though we have not treasured heaven in the way that we ought, God has treasured you more than you and I deserve. And it is he who has given up everything in order to take hold of us. Oh, that's cool. That is, that's great. Pastor Nick, that's, that's fantastic. What a beautiful piece of scripture. And I'm sure most people just fly over it. Uh, they, they go through it really quick, but that, that piece of scripture is a real grabber. And, oh, yeah. and your insights gave me clarity now. So thank you. Um, oh. what a, what a beautiful piece of scripture. If it's possible, uh, if you have uh, recorded the sermon that you did on that, yeah, and you could send me a link, 
uh, I would love to listen to that. I will do that, Pat. And I'll send this, I'll tell you what, I'll send a link for that sermon to anyone who wants it. Because I, I, like I said, it's recorded and I can easily just text you a link. So here's what I would ask anybody to do is um, text this number with your either email address or just ask for it and I can just text you a link if you have a smartphone. So text this number and ask for the sermon about the hidden treasure. The number is 720-336-0897. Once again, 720-336-0897. That's the text line for the show. And just mention something in there about the sermon, about the, the hidden treasure or the pearl of great price, and I will respond with a link to where you can listen to and download that message. Be kind enough to give me that phone number one more time. You got it. 720-336-0897. And that... Oh, you cut out on me uh, just there at the end. I don't know if you're still here, Pat. Okay. Well, I, I repeat that number throughout the show. So if you missed it in any way, um, I will be repeating it. But uh, sorry we got cut off there at the end, Pat. Great call. And hey, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about something I love to talk about. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the, on the air today. Lots of calls, uh, people with Bible questions, people with prayer requests, and we've got time for several more. So give me a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Mike in Maryland. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the program. Mike. Seems that we might have lost Mike. Is he there? Okay, Mike is, wasn't able to hang on the line. And, uh, but Mike had a question, and I see what it was. He asked me this. Is the Dome of the Rock inside or outside the city of Old Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified? Also, is the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem? Wouldn't God keep it as a witness for later? Uh, great questions. Uh, first of all, the Dome of the Rock, it is inside the Old City of Jerusalem. It is on the Temple Mount, um, inside the Old uh, Courtyard of the Temple. And so, you know, if you read the book of um, books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, you read about the, the building of the courtyard. You can also read about it in First Kings. And so basically what it looked like is that the, the temple itself wasn't huge. It was a smallish building, which had basically two main chambers. The first chamber was called the Holy Place, and the second chamber was called the Most Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept behind a big curtain. Um, but it wasn't a huge building. Most of the things that were done in the temple sacrifices, the rituals, they were done in the courtyard of the temple. So you had the inner court of the temple. That's where the sacrifice would take place, which makes sense because, you know, the sacrifices would create a lot of smoke. There was fire involved. And so they would do them outside in the inner court of the temple. Now there's also an outer court and that outer court was much more accessible to people. And the temple in the time of Jesus was, and the temple like where the Dome of the Rock is now, you know, Herod the Great, uh, prior to the birth of Jesus, about a couple decades in the 30s BC, he expanded, did this big project um, to kind of try to win the favor of the Jews, and he expanded the temple 
And one of the things he really expanded was the temple court. And so the, um, the temple court there on the, in Jerusalem, it's this elevated area. And historically, this mount where it's elevated on is kind of the highest point of the old city of Jerusalem, and it's called Mount Moriah. And so uh, that's where the Dome of the Rock is located. Now, there's a dispute over whether the Dome of the Rock is actually located on the exact spot of where the temple was based. Now, that was a really important part, because if you read at the end of 2 Samuel, it says that uh, the the threshing floor of uh, Ahuna or something like that, there's this threshing floor which was purchased, and that was to be the place where they built the temple. And you can read about that also in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, where it says that uh, Solomon built the temple on Mount Moriah on the threshing floor that had been purchased by his father David. And so that location needs to be where the temple is built. Now, there's a, a dispute because some people would argue that actually the Dome of the Rock is not exactly where the temple needs to be built, but that there's a smaller shrine called the Dome of the Spirits, which um, is actually where the temple historically needs to be built. And so therefore, there, there could maybe be a solution in which the temple is built on the Temple Mount next to the Dome of the Rock without destroying it. Personally, I think that's how it will play out, um, but we will see. So your second question, uh, Jesus crucified in the old city of Jerusalem. Well, first of all, Jesus was not crucified in the old city of Jerusalem, and the reason was very clear, because they did not allow um, for people to be executed within the gates of the old city. You can imagine, this is the holy city of God, where they would not allow uh, a person to be executed, which was considered, you know, a uh, dirty business. And so what they would do is, and we read this in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus, he, he went outside the gates of the city for us. And the, the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since he went out of the gates of the city for us, may we also follow him outside of the gates. Meaning it, if the cost of being a Christian is that you become an outsider that's okay because Jesus became an outsider for you. He was taken outside of the community, right? Outside the gates of the city to be executed. And if you go to the place there in Jerusalem where we believe that Jesus was executed, it's a place, you know, Golgotha, the place of the skull. Uh, there's a place that looks like that. And uh, we go there on our trips to Jerusalem. By the way, if anybody out there is looking for a trip to Israel, um, we are going, our church is going this November, together with Calvary Chapel in Cheyenne, the two churches are going together, and we have one open spot. So if you're interested in that, contact our church at info at whitefieldschurch.com. Info at whitefieldschurch.com. If you're interested in coming to Israel with myself and Pastor Sean Sells from Cheyenne, Wyoming, and we are going to be going there and we will visit this place. And I'll tell you, for me, this was the most moving part about going to Israel was seeing the, the skull rock and the place where Jesus was crucified. And I mean, it literally brought me to tears. And um, that, you know, if you know me, that that's saying a lot because I'm not a very emotional person. And But I just, I was just uh, amazingly moving to see that. But again, that's outside the gates of the old city. It's near the Damascus Gate there in Jerusalem where it, it was located. So is the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem? I don't know. Uh, there are some sources that say it was taken down to Ethiopia for safekeeping. Uh, to Egypt for safekeeping, which is possible. Um, others, other sources say 
that it was uh, it's hidden in the tunnels underneath the temple. Also possible. I'm not sure. Um, but we remember that these things are shadows of which was to of that which was to come. That's what we're told in Colossians chapter two. And that's important because it says it means that when the shadows here, we no longer focus on the shadows, but we focus on the substance who is Jesus Christ. So in my opinion, that's why God allowed for the temple to be destroyed and not rebuilt until now, and why he allowed for things like the Ark of the Covenant to go missing. So I hope that answers your question, and sorry you couldn't hang on the line there, Mike, but hopefully that uh, answers the question that you had. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Keedy from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. Let's go to our next caller, Murray in New Jersey. Hi, Murray. Welcome to the program. How are you doing? How's it Doing great. What's up? Hey, man, I'm just calling for uh, reinforcement prayers. Uh, anyone who wants to pick up um, some daily fasting and praying for this family of mine, um, as we're in the warfare in this in this area here, um, not only get too specific about things, but it's, uh, you know, everything's under attack, the marriage, uh, the, our children, our, our unity, and, uh, you know, us walk, you know, re- reading, reading time, praying, you know, everything, you know, um, because we have stood and we have stood together in Christ for, you know, my wife going on seven years now, um, you know, you will deal with pushback, you will deal with um, retaliations, you know, we've well, pulled people out of addictions and, um, uh, and, you know, stood by people and different things and brought people to Christ. And so um, this is definitely, you know, as I stand in this area still here, the retaliation and trying to wipe us out and whatever, but um, we're still standing and we're just calling in um, prayer warriors and reinforcement and that we'd be on somebody's daily list um, or, or, you know, just making this thing bigger because, um, yeah. It's real, it's real real warfare. It's real battle. And if you've ever really been in battle or in war, you know, it's it's long. And it, um, like Mike, like, you know, uh, Daniel, his angel had to call in the chief, the chief, uh, uh, military soldier. So, yeah. Well, let's, let's do that. Let's pray for you right now. And then anybody else out there, I love what you're saying there, Murray. Anybody else out there who wants to add this family to your daily prayer list, we really encourage you to do that. And Murray, kudos to you for saying, hey, my family needs prayer. So let's pray for you right now. Lord, we pray for Murray and we pray for his family. Lord, they're going through spiritual warfare, as we talked about earlier. Spiritual warfare is real. And and Lord, we don't know why you allow certain things, but we do know your character. Lord, we know that you are good. Lord, we know that you are loving. We know that you're providential and sovereign. And so, Lord, what they're going through now, we know that you intend it for their good. And so, Lord, we pray that rather than giving the enemy a foothold, that they would battle through this this trial and that truly, as James says, that they would rejoice in this trial, knowing that through this you are going to accomplish great things. You, You will and you can and you would desire to accomplish great things in their hearts, in their lives. And so, Lord, we do pray for Murray. Lord, we pray for his wife. Lord, we pray for their relationship, that it would be not only uh, enduring through this hardship, but Lord, that they would even come to the point of coming together and thriving in the midst of this, and perhaps even because of it. Lord, we know that those are things that are so outside of our common way of thinking um, as human beings, but Lord, we know that this is how you teach us to think. And, And so, Lord, we pray that they would thrive in the midst of the battle, 
that the battle would cause them to come together and lock shields and coalesce as a family. Lord, we pray for their children, and we pray, Lord, restore this family, strengthen them. We pray that they would have true and complete victory, that they would walk in the, the freedom of the sons of God over addiction and over other things that they battle and struggle with. So, Lord, we pray, pray blessing upon this family. We pray that they would be strengthened and they would draw close to you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Thanks for calling in, Murray. God bless you. And we do encourage anybody out there who wants to be praying for your family to do so. Talk to you later. God bless you. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. We've got eight minutes left in the, or sorry, actually five minutes left in the show. So we've got time for a few prayer requests and uh, maybe some Bible questions. Uh, we're going to go over to our text line and see what's come in over there and pray for those, but the number to call, 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. Michael from Fort Collins says, can you please pray for my family and my brother's sobriety? Absolutely. Lord, we lift up Michael to you, Lord, to um, have had this struggle in his family with his brother's sobriety. Lord, I pray that you would help him to have a lot of wisdom, have wisdom with to know how to help his brother, Lord, how to help him in the way that's really the best, because I know that that cannot always be clear when you're dealing with someone who has addiction. How do you help him and yet help him in a way that will actually help him attain freedom from this addiction, not just a, a momentary solution? But Lord, sometimes momentary solutions are needed. And so we think about what your word says in Romans 8, 26, where you tell us that that. The Spirit helps us in our weakness when we don't know how to pray. This is one of those situations. How do we pray, Lord, for, for Michael and his brother? Lord, we do pray for his brother to be set free from this addiction. Lord, we pray for him that he would really, uh, Lord, be free from it, that he would take the steps necessary, but, Lord, that you would provide him with the strength and power to do it. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Lord. We also just pray for Michael's family in general. Strengthen them. Give them deep roots in the gospel. Draw them, draw their hearts to you, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, Michael, God bless you. Thanks for texting in. We love praying for you. Let's go to our next caller, Corey in Loveland, Colorado. Hey, Corey, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you? Doing great. What's up? Uh, I got a friend, a close friend in California where I'm originally from, who's uh, even this moment awaiting his first chemotherapy session. And I'd just love to pray for him. And uh, he's a believer just pray for uh, strength and, and faith that he's uh, in the right place, regardless of his circumstance. Okay, let's pray for him. Lord, we lift up Corey's friend in California as he's waiting for this chemo session. Thank you, Lord, that he has faith and hope in you. And I pray that that faith and hope would be an anchor for his soul as he goes through this time of chemotherapy and having cancer. Lord, we do pray that the chemotherapy would be effective. Lord, we pray that he would have just a minimal reaction to it, Lord, that he would be, uh, he would feel well and he'd feel encouraged. But we also know, Lord, that in his strength, your weak, or sorry, in his, we in his weakness, your strength can be shown all the more. And so, Lord, whatever your desire is with Corey's friend's life, Lord, we pray that he would be fully surrendered to it. As Paul says, whether in life or in death, all we make it our goal to bring glory to Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray for him that he would have that hope that's talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that hope that knows that it is better to go and be with the Lord and yet 
every moment that we have breath in our lungs here on earth, you have a purpose with it. And so, Lord, we pray that he would live in that knowledge, that you give him strength and hope to walk through what he's facing. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. You bet. Thanks for calling in. God bless you. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church, Longmont, Colorado. Check us out this weekend. We'd love to have you come worship with us. You can find directions to our church. You can find past messages on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. We have three services on Sunday mornings, 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you join us for those. Our, um, our later two services are broadcast online as well on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. And um, yeah, if you, if you want to connect with us, we'd love to connect with you online. We're on all the social media channels. Just look for Whitefields Church on any of those, and we should come up pretty quickly. So again, the website for directions to our church, service times, messages, all that good stuff is whitefieldschurch.com. We're putting on a VBS, a Vacation Bible School, coming up in July. If you have kids who would like to attend that, we'd love to have them. You can find information about that on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. And it's a Monday through Friday. It's available to children ages 3 through 6th grade. So maybe you even have kids in your neighborhood, or maybe you have grandkids. They would really benefit for some, for they'd benefit from a time of spending time in a church, hearing about Jesus for a week with some volunteers who are just going to love on them. We'd love to have them come. So you can go to our website and you can find it under the events section. So whitefieldschurch.com, click on events, and then check out the info about our vacation Bible school coming up in July. Hey, it's been great being with you. So many good calls today. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for listening. God bless you guys, and I will be with you again next Friday. Have a safe weekend, and maybe we'll see you uh, at our church or at whatever church that you go to. We hope that you have a blessed Sunday and a blessed weekend. God bless. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.